Hello, and welcome to episode 162 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. What's going on? Hello, Jason. Nothing. Nothing's going on. Okay. What's going on with you? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) We we got nothing. it's it's been a it's been a quiet week. Yeah, um, but we we've got news. Yeah, but personally it's been a very quiet week. Aviationally, it has certainly not been a quiet week. No, it is not one of those weeks where we say, crap, what are we gonna talk about? Not much has happened. No, no. We've plenty got, we've got plenty happened. to talk we, about. We've got aircraft orders, we've got new possibly world's longest flights, we've got acquisitions, we've got not acquisitions, we've got airplanes falling apart midair, we got Everything you want to hear about and a little bit more. I feel like we need like a, one of those wheels to choose where we go first and like choose your adventure wheel. All right. Spin um, the fictional wheel and it's rigged. So we're going to Australia. All right. Here we go. So it's official. It's it's officially official. Money has probably changed hands in one way, shape or form. Qantas has ordered 12 Airbus A350-1000s that will be specially modified so that they will be capable of flying direct from Australia. And this is where it gets interesting. To any other city, including New York and London. Yeah. And I I hope some money has exchanged because to make this announcement, Airbus flew an A350-1000 all the way down to Australia. Toulouse, I think it stopped in Perth along the way to, what was it, Sydney? So that is an expensive publicity stunt. So I hope some money has been uh, changed in hand. I'm I'm sure they they were well compensated for, for bringing the aircraft down. Not only did they bring an A350 down, the Air Baltic, Air Baltic's newest A220-300 made the journey from Riga down to Sydney via Delhi and Denpasar, I believe. Well, the, the 350 wanted some company, so it brought its pet. Well, because Qantas also re-upped its narrowbody fleet. So the narrowbody fleet was previously announced, but this is the actual order. So they, they ordered beginning – the deliveries will begin late next year for 40 A321 XLRs. So we'll get to that in, in just a minute. Is it 40 or 20? Up to 40. So I think it's 20 and 20. Yeah, sorry. It's uh, firm orders for 20 and then options for for additional aircraft. No, I take that back. I only see 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I was getting ahead of myself. It's 20 of each aircraft type. And not 20 and 20 options. Sorry, it's 20 of each aircraft type. So 20 A321 XLRs, 20 A220s. Plus options for 94, uh, which is an interesting number, but options for 94 uh, additional aircraft spread over the next decade. We'll come back to that delivery date in in just a minute when we talk about Airbus's first quarter results. But let's stick with Qantas. They will take 12 of the Airbus A350s beginning flights on those will begin in late 2025. The initial routes will include New York and London, as we've discussed much before. And if you haven't listened to our episode about the Project Sunrise flights, uh, you can go back and we'll toss that in the show notes and, and we can discuss or you can listen to that discussion there. Yeah. There's a whole lot more to unpack in the, this announcement. First of all, I just let's want to say, let, let's, let's unpack it. First of all, I'd like to say that I, I love that Qantas is, has named these fleet orders. Uh, we all know Project uh, Project Sunrise is the, the the project to fly, as they said, anywhere in the world, nonstop from Australia. But then the narrowbody orders, Project Winton, I, I haven't heard that before. Uh, that, that's the narrowbody replacement of its 737s and 717s that will be gradually retired. But it's nice to just say, yeah, we got a couple projects, Winton and Sunrise. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like two kids that go to a very, very expensive preschool. I mean, I understand Project Sunrise. That That's kind of self-explanatory but what what is winton am i even pronouncing that right what, yeah what, what is uh, well, that? i i don't know i don't know if, if you're pronouncing it correctly but but winton is the birthplace of Qantas in outback queensland um, well there you go so, today so that's learned. that's why they're calling that it might be pronounced differently so we'll need to bring back our resident australian pronunciation experts to help us out if, if we're mixing that one up but 
The interesting part for me, so before we get into the actual aircraft, the A350 and, and Qantas kind of previewed some of that. The interesting thing is it seems that they've got designs on flights to other cities beyond New York and London in, in fairly quick order because it sounds like the delivery timeline for the A350, the, these special A350s is going to be quite compressed. There, It won't be where they take a couple and then they wait and they take a couple more. It'll, it sounds like they're going to get the entire subfleet collected rather quickly. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what else they do. Right. They're also taking more aircraft than they need to just operate New York and London. So they must have greater ambitions planned to tackle what what their CEO calls the the final fix for the tyranny of distance. There were a number of interesting quotes that, that came out of this both in the press release and in the press conference that Qantas held. It was one of those things where you know that they're announcing these long flights, you know that everyone, you know, they've been running up to it, there's been so much discussion, everyone knew it was coming. But still the flowery language of the the tyranny of distance and the the last frontier and, and all these things. I was like, wait, are, they're just airplanes, right? Yeah. I, I had a, to check and make sure they were just airplanes. A, a plus marks for uh, the marketing and the, the linguistics in this release. That They lost me when they started making ridiculous claims about emissions and how green these aircraft are. But up until that point, this was a, a very well-crafted uh, release. Yes, they're more fuel efficient than previous generations of aircraft. However, yeah, got to put asterisks on that one. I, I mean, yeah, yes, per per seat mile, they are lower. However, the number of seat miles is dramatically increasing. Yeah, especially when uh, they're specking out the aircraft to be what is likely the lowest density A three fifty one thousand by by far. This only has. 238 passengers across uh, a first-class cabin, which is very interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. Business premium economy with more than 40% of the cabin dedicated to premium seating. So the buck kind of stops there when you talk about emissions because the more premium seating you have, the worse it is overall. And this is a very premium aircraft, but they say they'll offset all the emissions. So yeah, the Qantas has said that that Project Sunrise will be carbon neutral from the first flight. How they intend to ensure that I'm going to leave until 2025 when they introduce it. So to Jason's point, premium seating accounts for over 40% of the aircraft. I'm not sure running the numbers quickly in my head. I don't think they're counting premium economy as premium cabins. I don't think so. No, but Even it includes right there in the name. It, well, it, it's premium economy. It's not premium. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So six first class suites in a one 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 configuration over two rows, and they they uh, Qantas previewed the. Um, kind of the the first class mock-ups and things like that. It'll be a similar to Lufthansa's old first class on I believe it was it the 747 400s. Um, a product that only lasted like 6 years, if that. Which I thought was a great product. I, yeah, um, that, I'm glad you brought this up because when I when I saw this I immediately thought, wait, I've seen this before, but I can't quite yeah. remember where. And then it hit me. This is Lufthansa's short-lived first-class product with a 32-inch monitor up front, which is nice. But this is not a newer, unique thing. It, it, it's an updated for the 2020s thing. Uh, a lot of wasted space, but for those who can afford it, it looks nice. I mean, I think anything that they do is going to be is going to be nice. And and you mentioned the wasted space and I, and I think that's I think that's very interesting. I think that they if not wasted space, they could have they could have done a bit more with the the bed because the the bed is against the window and then the uh the the seat is nearest the the door. So if you want to look out the window, you have to be in the bed. 
which I, I mean, I get doing it the other way is not possible, but you know, just kind of a thing. So is there a way to make the bed come up? Is there a way to like prop yourself up and look at the, cause you got 20 hours. What do you, I mean, how many movies can you watch? You, you kind of have to vary your time and, and things like that. So it'll be interesting to, to see how these are problems. I am willing to figure out the answers to first person. If Jason and I need to fly, uh, I'll take this one the for the contest. team. We really, you know, we're we're you know willing and able to. I will to do report so. back how many hours I spent in the chair and how many hours I spent in the bed. It is vital research. I volunteer. I appreciate you doing that. The other thing that's interesting to me is that what looks like the interior suite is they they have a window esque thing that ha- it looks like it has a light in it. To kind of simulate, similar to what Emirates has. So, kind of simulating that. But Emirates takes it a, a step further with like a 4K or, or, or very high definition yeah. fake window with cameras that actually look outside. Right. So, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be doing that. They, that wasn't detailed, but it looks nice. It looks well appointed. We didn't get much beyond the first class as far as actual renderings go. What we do know is that there's going to be a a split business cabin, and what seat and appointments and finishings are are going to go in the business cabin is still kind of up, not up in the air, but there's refinement to be determined. Then there's going to be a premium economy section. Then there is going to be a wellness zone. Yes, and and the wellness zone looks like a galley. With padded padded wainscoting, I guess, and guided, you know, guided stretching and and things of that nature. If the if the renderings are to be believed, where you've got kind of sunrisey motifs and and screens and telling you how to stretch and and not die from blood clots on a on a twenty five hour or twenty five hour. That's useful. Hour not not dying of blood clots is a, a good way to fly, but different airlines make use of, of space like this in different ways. I think Virgin Atlantic on its A350-1000s has a bar area. I don't know exactly where positioned in the aircraft it is, but I know it, it does exist. Emirates famously has its bar in the back of the A380, but this aircraft is, is low enough density where they can sacrifice a, a flight attendant galley for one of this, for what they're calling a well-being zone. What other airlines have weird things like that? Saudi, I think, has like a prayer area in the rear of the aircraft. So this is not a, a totally unique thing, but it's a, a place where you can go and maybe play We Fit and, and, and get some guided stretching lessons. <laughs> I would absolutely love to see that. I, I think that would be interesting. They also have uh, the the entryway, the L2 doorway. They've mocked up with it. Kind of an open space area in between the two business cabins, uh, where there is the galley, but they also have more of an open space. And and again, this whole layout is subject, subject to change. some revision. Yes, we're still years away from the first aircraft, and anything can change between now and then. But uh, for the majority of the people who will be practically flying in, in premium economy and economy, you will get. Uh, 40 inches of pitch in premium economy, which is a couple inches more than usual, and 33 inches of pitch in economy, which is about two to three more than usual. So you'll still be in a regular seat, but you'll have slightly more legroom to think about why you've chosen a 21-hour flight instead of a layover in LA. Right. The other thing that I want to talk about is that the infographic that Qantas released as part of this mentions that the aircraft will have a longer range of 8,700 nautical miles or 16,100 kilometers. The distance from London to Sydney is 17,000 kilometers. Yes. Also announced alongside this is a new um, air-to-air refueling plan for, so, uh, for passenger aircraft. No, 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 no. They, I have uh, some questions. There, there was a very unfortunate graphical error on, on this high-profile announcement, which is a shame. But in reality, Airbuses had to do what they said they would not have to do and add an extra fuel tank to the uh, this specific variant of the A350-1000. 
Yeah. So uh, it, it'll have the range to get there, but that's all it'll have the range to do. So that'll, that'll be interesting to see uh, how Airbus further modifies the aircraft in its final configuration to make this work, to fit everybody on board and get the whole Project Sunrise ball rolling. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be interesting to watch and I hope to get to fly it one day. I've never been to Australia. I don't think you have either. No, I have not. I have not been to Australia. I would love to go. The other thing that I was thinking about this week with the A350, this version of the A350-1000 kind of becoming a reality and the the Boeing 777X possibly eventually entering service one day is what other kind of impossible routes are are going to going to spring up and what other would be you know even likely and you know i, I posed the question on twitter and, and some interesting things came back the the one that i was thinking of was was auckland london nonstop air new zealand's operated that one with a stopover in lax in the past but the increased range would offer that ability to to operate nonstop, and and a few people mentioned some South America China routes like Santiago Beijing or, or Buenos Aires Shanghai things like that, which would be even longer. Just kind of opens up an interesting thought exercise. Yeah, nice to talk about uh, doing fun things like stupidly long routes again, rather than uh, what routes have been cut indefinitely due to COVID. Yes, yes. This is a much preferable conversation to have. I like it. Um, yeah. A few weeks ago, we talked about the unsolicited bid by JetBlue to take over Spirit Airlines. Spirit and Frontier Airlines had previously entered into a merger agreement and JetBlue's cash offer of $3.6 billion was much higher than Frontier's offer for Spirit. Spirit initially said, okay, we we got your memo. We're going to take a look at it. And they went back and took a look at it. And JetBlue says, you should take a really close look at it because it's a lot of money. And they said, we will. Don't worry. And so they did. And initially, the conversation that we had, Jason, on the podcast over a couple episodes, we weren't really sure where this was going. We saw a lot of issues with it. And as it turns out, the board of directors for Spirit Airlines also saw the issues with it and determined that they do not wish to proceed with JetBlue and are sticking with Frontier. And Matt Gardner, who is the chairman of the board of directors for Spirit Airlines, had this to say in a statement, quote, after a thorough review and extensive dialogue with JetBlue, the board determined that the JetBlue proposal involves an unacceptable level of closing risk that would be assumed by Spirit stockholders. We believe that our pending merger with Frontier will start an exciting new chapter for Spirit and will deliver many benefits to Spirit shareholders, team members, and guests. So, what they mean by unacceptable level of closing risk is basically, we don't think the government will let us do this. The big sticking point in the minds of the Spirit Alliance Board of Directors is JetBlue's Northeast Alliance with American Airlines something that JetBlue has said they are under no circumstances are they willing to give that up and they want that to remain in effect and Spirit said well we don't think the DOJ would would let us merge they also noted that JetBlue buying Spirit and then blueifying Spirit jetify I don't know what what we would call that but turning Spirit planes into JetBlue planes and running them as that airline would remove about half of the ultra low cost carrier capacity in the US so the board looked at it and said it's a lot of money but it ain't going to happen yeah i mean it's not done yet JetBlue still has options it can, it can go down it, the hostile takeover over. route it ain't over yet but it, it, we're at a weird place that i don't think a lot of people expected and, and Cranky Flyer posted a, a great analysis about this that Spirit's board may have may have taken a very strange turn of events here and that take they, they should have taken the JetBlue money and run because when Spirit said thanks but no thanks basically we're, we're going to stick with Frontier, JetBlue countered and say well we're willing to sweeten the deal uh, for the DOJ when they scrutinize this plan and we will give up all spirit assets in New York and Boston, which as an aside would suck and I hate it because I live in New York and I like having jet, uh, 
Spirit as an option. Um, so for me, that's a non-starter. But then it also said we'd give up some, I don't know, gates in Fort Lauderdale. And on top of that, they would add a reverse breakup fee of $200 million if the deal does not go through. And we all know or suspect the deal would not go through. So it, it's odd that the Spirit board didn't say, okay, we'll entertain this. And in two years when the DOJ says no, we'll take our $200 million and, and go back to Frontier, who will probably have arms wide open for us. So it's an interesting move, but maybe at the end of the day, the $200 million is just not enough to entice them to go down this road. But like I said, the, it, it's not over. We could see a, a round three of this ordeal. Yeah. And JetBlue's CEO has said that they may take their offer directly to Spirit shareholders and let them vote on it uh, in a proxy fight, which would be, I mean, great popcorn as far as the the business of airlines is concerned. But it, it's really you know interesting to me that that nobody thinks this is a good idea except JetBlue. Yeah, it, it can't possibly be good for the morale of anyone who works at Spirit, no matter what level. If JetBlue does go down the hostile takeover route with the express goal of completely dismantling everything from top to bottom that is Spirit today, including its entire operation in New York and Boston, that would not be great. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a huge part of running an airline. And I don't understand why – I mean, I understand why uh, JetBlue is pursuing this. I don't think it's a good idea, but it's really interesting to me to continue to listen to to the statements that JetBlue is putting out because while, while Brett's analysis about taking the $200 million and at the end of the day, you go back to Frontier, who knows what can happen in those two years? And, and I can kind of understand both sides of that where, yeah, $200 million sounds great, but what are you going to get for your troubles in the meantime and how much of a headache is – Moving forward with a, a JetBlue tie-up going to going to cost them not necessarily in, in money, but in in time and, and effort and and lost opportunity. That I, I I can't answer. But JetBlue's continued insistence that this is a really good idea. This is good for the industry. It, everyone has said it's not. I haven't seen a single aviation analysis. So, so like a like a, a flying centric analysis. I haven't seen a financial analysis. I haven't seen anything from anyone outside of JetBlue that says this is a good idea. Spirit and Frontier still is pretty much plug and play. Aside from the the big front seat, the two are pretty much identical. JetBlue and Spirit could not be any different, at least at the passenger level. So I, on the one hand, I'm glad this isn't going through, but it, it, it's clearly not done. We're, we haven't seen the, the last offer or the, or the last move being made up in Long Island City. Robin Hayes is driving away on a, on a baggage tractor and yelling, you haven't seen the last of me. I'll be back, you crazy kids. But weirder things have come out of failed merger offers. I mean, here in the US, the only reason we even have T-Mobile as one of our three cell phone carriers still is because AT&T tried to buy them, failed the DOJ process, and there was a huge breakup fee. And now they have all of this spectrum to make them a national competitor. But this did not quite go down the same way. I don't think the breakup fee was quite large enough to entice Spirit. $200 million sounds like a lot, but at the end of the day, it's uh, not that big a deal when you're a very large company of this size. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, I have a feeling I'm going to wake up one day in a couple months and see in my email inbox from 6 a.m. that some preposterous move has been made by uh, JetBlue and maybe they'll turn around and try to buy Frontier. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. So this is a fun one in that we sent our friend Ned Russell on – I don't want to call it a wild goose chase, but it was definitely a goose chase. I sent him on uh, a goose chase. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> explain. Explain this to uh, me. The, last week, the seaplane operator that operates flights between Manhattan and the East River and, and Boston started last year. And they, they have a whole bunch of other flights, but that's their marquee flight. Uh, they, they 
sent a press release saying we're going to start nonstop flights between Manhattan and Provincetown, which is nice. But in that same email, they, they forgot to really mention the fact that their route map included a new route to DC starting in September, which raised all sorts of questions of like, huh? And why? And how? So I talked to them. They said, yeah, we, we think we have a, a pathway to start seaplane operations between uh, the East River and the DC area, which if anyone has ever had experience with operating or, or, or coordinating flights into the DC area, uh, US Air Force included, it is not an easy task. There are a lot of approvals that need to be made. You can't just pop into DCA because it's a slot controlled airport. So all sorts of questions were were raised. And uh, Ned Russell over at Skift contacted uh, the FAA, the Coast Guard. I can't believe we had to talk to the Coast Guard for this, but all sorts of people. And, and what, what did he find out? Well, it's not so much what he find out. He found out. It's what he thought he found out, what we thought he had found out, and then what it turns out he had found out. So initially, he talked to. He not only talked to the Coast Guard. He talked to the airport authority. He talked to the Coast Guard, which was I still think fantastic. He talked to DC proper, and he talked to was. It, it may have even been the Tennessee Valley River Authority. I don't even know. When Ned wants to investigate something, the man he, he does he did. his due diligence. Long story short, it ain't going to happen. I'm disappointed. Maybe. I floated the idea when they said DC area. Maybe they actually mean Dulles, which would be great for me because my company has an office at Dulles. So that would be great. I could fly a seaplane to Dulles. That'd be amazing. But uh, it doesn't seem like this is there is any viable path to actually doing this, whether it is at DCA, which they can't do because they don't have full TSA screening here in Manhattan. I don't know. Maybe they're going to land in Baltimore. Or, we don't know, but it is an interesting story to keep our eye on. What would be interesting to me is to learn how far up the river they have to land in order to qualify as a boat to then float down mm. the river. Yeah, if you just float down the DC. river unpowered, I mean, who's going to stop you? I assume the Coast Guard. Maybe. I mean, we we talked about this, what, two weeks ago when the, the Army parachute team did, failed to – the FAA didn't send an email to the Capitol Police and, and they, they had all the shut everything down. And yeah, no. I mean, this is, you know, this is just a, a very interesting one. But, but long story short, I don't think we're going to see seaplane landings at DCA anytime soon. No, but we will be keeping our collective eyeballs on this one because I, I have a vested interest in flying to uh, DC via seaplane just once, just once, just once, just once. So th this is our feel good story for the week, and one that I picked up before it became a feel good story when it was just a hey, this is a cool thing. Maybe they'll be able to to figure it out. Two sisters were fleeing uh, Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, in 1999. And those sisters were coming to the US and they were on a flight from Amsterdam to Minneapolis. And a woman on the flight gave them an envelope and inside the envelope or on the envelope was a, a very nice message that just said to the girls from Yugoslavia and the note says i'm sorry sorry that the bombing of your country has caused you so many problems i hope you stay in america uh, i hope your stay in america is safe and a happy one for you and she just signed it a friend from the plane tracy and inside the envelope was a $100 bill and over the years the two sisters have kind of off and on, uh, looked for one of the sisters, uh, Ida Zuge, has kind of looked for this Tracy woman every year around Memorial Day and every year again around Thanksgiving. So twice a year, she she tries to find her and hasn't had any success. And she knew a few things about her. And so the internet got a hold of this and CNN wrote an article. Three days later, the internet does what it does sometimes when it's a good a source of good, and it found this woman. It found Tracy Peck, and we'll put a link to the show notes, but uh, a link to the the whole article in the show notes. But Tracy Peck had been at the French Open in 1999 with her tennis club from Minnesota, and had been on the plane back to Minneapolis, and 
put a $100 bill in this envelope. It changed the two girls' lives. They're now very successful professionals in the US and now they're back in touch. And I, you know, these are the kind of like aviation stories that I just absolutely love. That's a nice story. I, I thought so. Yeah. It's nice to have nice stories with it's nice It's nice sentences. to have nice things. We can have nice things. Yeah, sometimes. We can have nice things. I really hate to do this. Uh-oh. But we also can't have nice things. Why not? Come on. So this was an article in the New York Times this week. There were a whole lot of bees that were being shipped from California to Alaska. And geography is one of my favorite sports. But even if it's not one of yours, trust me when I say that Georgia, specifically Atlanta, Georgia, is not in between California and Alaska. I'm going to have to take your word on that one. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I promise you, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. 200 crates of bees numbering in the millions were en route on Delta from Sacramento to Seattle and then on to Anchorage. They shipped bees up there to help with pollination in Alaska to help food crops and things like that. Delta shipped the bees not to Alaska, but Atlanta. Atlanta, famously not on the way to Seattle or Anchorage. Or Anchorage. And unfortunately, very, very unfortunately, events transpired in which the bees were not kept properly and hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of them died. They were moved from a a warehouse area and put outside. And unfortunately, it was very hot in Atlanta and many of the bees did not survive. Delta and the bee shippers, uh, the beekeepers who were shipping the bees, um, were dealing with that and trying to figure out exactly what went wrong. They did, however, get in contact with the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association that has a swarm hotline. And I will note that the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association has an on-duty swarm commander, which I you know hadn't thought about. But it's good that there's an organization that can be called upon when there's a giant swarm of bees and someone can come take control of the situation. So Atlanta Beekeepers tried to to rescue as many bees as they possibly could, but unfortunately, a very, very large number of bees did not survive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, at least they tried to respond and, and salvage whatever was left. I know here in New York, the NYPD actually has its own uh, bee division, which is odd and I don't know why that exists, but it's cool nonetheless. Wait a minute. We've talked about this before on the show. We've talked specifically about the NYPD's B division. Maybe. And now I have to No, we definitely have. Now I have like to go back and find it in the show notes. Or something. I, I think know. I think there were. We're going to have to find the I'm making a I'm making a note. Find the New York bees. Bees. Okay. Find the New York bees. But yes, they they are dispatched often with a vacuum cleaner and suck up the bees and put them somewhere else. But from the images, it looks like the bees were loaded on a cargo container of some sort. It didn't look like an LD3 container, but whatever it was, it wasn't going to fit on an E-175 that was going to operate between Sacramento and Seattle, almost certainly, which probably explains why it ended up in Atlanta in the first place. But uh, not great. We like honeybees. We need them. And literally, the world need depends more. on them. We need more <laughs> we of need them. More. We, we cannot afford to kill millions of them because they were rerouted accidentally to Atlanta and kept outside. So don't let that happen again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let us turn our attention back to the business of aviation and discuss Airbus's first quarter results. Okay. Where do we begin? They were good. They were good, but not all great. We sometimes get listener hate mail saying, you only say bad things about Boeing and never Airbus. Well, we have some bad Airbus news for you. Not terrible. Give us the bad Airbus news. Bad Airbus news. Uh, The A320 XLR entry into service has slipped from late 2023 to early 2024 due to uh, the rear fuel tank, which they've added, which makes the 
A321LR and XLR, they have had to add some insulation because fuel is very cold in the aircraft and they needed to put some insulation between the fuel tank and the passenger floor so passengers' feet don't freeze. But there are some flammability issues, which interestingly, Boeing raised as a potential concern like years ago, I think. And EASA is just really getting to it now. And or apparently, it's just reared its head now to actually materially affect the delivery timeline of the aircraft. But Airbus is going to have to figure out what to do with this before it can actually uh, build most of these aircraft and deliver them. So the, the entry to service has slipped slightly to early 2024. See, we, we do talk about bad things that happen to Airbus as well. I We're not rooting against anybody. We're rooting for I both want Boeing all, and Airbus. I want all aircraft projects to be delivered on time and on budget to happy customers. That would be great. Yeah. I don't want people to be under the impression that we're rooting for Airbus or against Boeing or for Boeing and against Airbus or or against Embraer or I, I guess for Bombardier or like any, you know, or any of these eVTOL things. I'm not rooting against anybody. I'm rooting for aviation that is moving towards sustainability in a, in a true sense and towards um, a a product that is safe and appropriate for for the industry it just so happens that over the past couple of years airbus has done a better job at doing that have they been perfect? Absolutely not. Has Boeing gotten a lot of things right? Yes, they have. It just so happens that Boeing over the past couple of years has had projects that have had more substantial issues affecting their product lines than Airbus has. That's as simple as that. Yep. And everyone else has been relatively quiet. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we we can talk about as far as when you get into the little nitty gritty things and issues here and there. Um, this is certainly above the nitty gritty, but below not being able to deliver aircraft. I mean, this is you know things are slipping, and this happens on every project. I when was the last time uh, an aircraft was launched on a certain date? Said we're going to deliver it on a certain date, and that's what happened. I, I I'm not, don't, I'm not exactly I don't sure. know if such a thing has ever happened in modern <laughs> aviation. So uh so yeah, there I mean there there's there's precedence for this. Entry into service slips. The first flight, however, is still scheduled for by the end of next month, I believe is the the scheduling timeline on that. The other interesting bit about Airbus's first quarter results are the rates that the A320 family will be operating at, and they are as expected going up. Uh, we talked about this, I think, during the beginning of the year when they released their full year 2021 results about the possibility of working towards up to 75, 75 A320 aircraft, A320 family aircraft per month. That is still the goal. The A320 Neo family is going to go up to 65 per month by next year, by by the middle of next year. And then Airbus is still working uh, mostly to see if they can get parts fast enough in order to build 75 A320 Neo family aircraft per month. And, and the big driver behind that increased rate is the A321, uh, both the, the 321 Neo, LR, and soon to be XLR. Yeah, and I think I read to do this, they're going to be opening a second line in the Mobile uh, Alabama production line. Yeah, which is yeah, there will cool. be a, a second final assembly line in in Mobile, so that'll be uh, that'll be cool to to see them put together and then see more some more aircraft uh, come off the line. I will ding Airbus, and and I don't know who I don't know who in their in their shop came up with this one. But if you're listening to the podcast, because you might be, I'm sorry, but the exciting landmarks within reach thing, no. What, what was there? What, what exciting landmarks are in reach? The XLR, the A321 XLR, exciting landmarks within reach. Oh. No. Okay. Make it stop. 
Okay. Don't do that. Did, did they mean like what they physically painted the aircraft with? Like the statue of no, Liberty and the Eiffel Tower was the, on there? Was Those the are exciting yeah. landmarks. Yeah. Yes. They're exciting landmarks with an X. Exciting landmarks with an I mean, you know, obviously searching for something to XLR. Oh, but, wait. You mean like exciting? Yes. Like, yes. like you're uh, promoting yes. a movie in, in 2003 Correct. and it's exciting? Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that's that's <laughs> not great. I take back everything we've said about Airbus in this <laughs> you episode. Were to, you were trying bad, to defend them. Bad. No. Oh. Exciting. Exciting. Let us move on. From I, I don't think we have to. I think we just keep moving forward. So here's something that happened yesterday. It's what? Wednesday, Happened May on Tuesday. It happened on Tuesday. We don't often see this, though sometimes it happens. Usually it's happening when a Virgin Atlantic A330 or A340 is driving into the wall at JFK. But this time it happened in the air and a American Eagle Envoy E175. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, I should be specific. An Envoy Air E175 flying from Charleston to Dallas, diverted to Birmingham, Alabama. Because it lost a winglet in flight during severe turbulence. Huh. That's uh, not supposed to happen. No. No. And and they called it moderate severe clear air turbulence, which I guess is kind of the scariest clear air where you just don't see the turbulence coming. You don't see it coming and then the winglet falls off. Just bam, it happens. But uh, winglets are not supposed to come off. Uh, No part of the aircraft is supposed to come off. (laughs) Yeah, they don't usually make aircraft with parts that are supposed to come well, off. Well, technically speaking, the engines are. If there is such a dramatic issue uh, with the engine, it is technically supposed to break away, I think. It is like a couple bolts that hold it on and the engine will break away. But the winglet, that's not supposed to happen. So there's speculation that maybe there was some sort of manufacturing defect or maybe this aircraft had some sort of physical damage that went unknown or unresolved. But – Thankfully, the winglet is um, non-critical to flight safety. You don't need the winglets. They are there uh, uh, to enhance efficiency of the aircraft. I mean, it's not great if that thing bonks someone on the head when it lands, but uh, it was never – the aircraft was never in in any sort of real danger, but that is not supposed to happen. Did I ever tell you about the time that uh, a friend of mine had a piece of a flap land in their yard? I mean, things break off every now and then. It it happens. I mean, we saw with, uh, what was it, the Norwegian 7-8 over Rome that just spit out chunks of its engine. Well, Uh, I mean, but that was different. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was a bit different. It it happens. Um, But yeah, it's not not supposed to, especially caused by turbulence. That's That's a new one to me. So I haven't seen reports that they found it. But if you live kind of between Five Points and Childersburg in Alabama, be on the lookout. Yeah, I'm sure the NTSP would love to have that piece back. Uh, yeah, they, they've got questions. I have questions. <laughs> and, and and hopefully one day we'll have answers. But everyone was okay, and they are now investigating. Speaking of investigations, there was a, a spate of A220, uh, or I guess – the still C series. They were the C series. still the C series. Engine failures that we kind of, the NTSB was investigating because the NTSB was delegated one of the investigations. The BEA was investigating. The FAA issued airworthiness directives in 2020. The NTSB, showing how long these investigations take, the NTSB finally today issued their final report on the uncontained engine failure that affected Air Baltic's YLAAU on uh, February 12th, 2020. And the results of the investigation were basically what we knew already, but they go into a little bit more detail. Number one, so the left engine low pressure compressor, uh, stage one, integrally bladed rotor separated due to a high cycle fatigue crack that originated at the runout of an airfoil leading edge root radius. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yes. The crack developed because of the mechanically coupled low pressure compressor stage three and stage one integrally bladed rotor mode excitation 
and blade flutter excitation does it begin with an x just excitation. no no this is this is the ntsb they oh, they okay. put an e at the beginning okay. and then a primary contributor to the failure mode was an electronic engine control software update that changed the lpc vein schedule and increased the likelihood that the flutter onset would begin within the engine operating range so basically i the engine, all of that yep the, okay fair enough <laughs> the uh software update led to a situation where the engine was in a received excitation. That excitation led to cracking. That cracking led to an uncontained engine failure. So I am never not impressed by the ability of investigators to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and get to the root cause of the issue. And and granted, they did this the issue was understood well before the final report was issued. But it's always fascinating to see the full thing written out. Yeah. Anytime I see one of these uh, final investigation reports that is like, oh, yeah, like 17 years ago when this part was created in uh, somewhere in rural UK, there was a 4% impurity with nickel plating or something like that. Like the, the level of detail that these investigations can get into and go back in time and figure out that there was some minor impurity in the casting process from a sub 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 contractor is just outstanding the guy who normally runs that machine was on vacation that day somebody's cousin was filling in they pressed the button too early yeah it, it's it's fascinating and this was the issue that kept uh, the a220 c series at the time i think like a f- cruising at 20,000 feet or, or, or under for a little while was that right yeah, it affected and we'll put a link in the in the show notes to the cuz it was a it wasn't just one aircraft it happened to multiple aircraft and that's why the the investigation kind of expanded the way it did but there were a number of different software updates that went out the aircraft had to cruise at a certain altitude and you couldn't go above a certain percentage of n1 in a variety of situations so as not to increase the engine excitation good to know Let's do a few quick things to close out the show. One is that we've got an interesting, I guess we can call it a merger in Latin America. Avianca and Viva are their shareholders join economic ownership in a new holding company. So I'm not exactly sure how this is working yet, but the further kind of COVID and and they're they're coming out and saying this COVID nineteen triggered the biggest crisis in the airline industry. We're in the process of consolidating so that we can uh, continue flying, and so that will be moving forward. I guess. Yeah, remember uh, Avianca itself is fresh out of bankruptcy just a couple months ago. So this impacts Viva Peru and uh, Viva Colombia and the Avianca Group. So it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens and and how they plan to integrate the airlines or if they're just going to be kind of two airlines that happen to be together. Yeah. Don't know how I feel about this. There aren't a ton of large airlines in Latin America and and Viva gave a bit of of competition to Avianca and, and the other airlines like LATAM, but I guess this is meant to be at this point. Well, whether it's meant to be or not, it is. Alaska Airlines celebrating the 4th of May. Jason, may the 4th be with you. Yeah. See what I did there? Okay. Moving on. Come on. Come on. Let's go. (laughs) N538AS is now in a special Star Wars Millennium Falcon TIE Fighter Disneyland Star Wars Galaxy Edge livery. We can't show it to you, but it's pretty. It's well done. They did a nice job and I like it. Yeah. They were very proud of themselves that they they didn't have it leak at all until today. And well, that's not even true. I think you published a photo of it the other day. Like it wasn't even true. It leaked days ago. But it was out. They they pulled it out of the hangar a couple days ago. I don't even know why they bothered to mention that, but it is a pretty looking aircraft uh, (laughs) announced on, on May the 4th. So that's nice. But it was not the only special livery announced today, was it? It was not. Jason, tell me about the future. Future. Uh, the future is being painted on the side of 10 Emirates A380s, 
announcing, uh, or I guess in partnership with the Museum of the Future, or, or Museum of the Future. I, I, I have no idea what that is. I assume it's in Dubai. Don't know anything about it, but it is. How would you describe what this looks like? <sighs> it, it's hard to describe, right? I, I, I don't know. it. So what they painted on the aircraft is the actual museum. So in 3D, it looks like it's an orb with kind of a donut in it with beautiful Arabic calligraphy all over it. When you paint that on the aircraft, it's kind of like a it, I don't know what it, it, it looks like. It kind of looks like the eye they painted. Donut? It kind of looks like the eye they painted on the Beluga XL, just blown up quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. It, they've got big titles that goes all the way back to the book behind the wing that says Journey to the Future, which is nice. But Emirates is clearly at this point no stranger to special liveries on its A380. But this first one has rolled out on A6EVK, Echo Victor Kilo. So look out for that. There should be nine more joining in the coming weeks. I'm sure they'll go all over the world. So that's uh, yet another giant billboard. (laughs) Ten giant billboards. To close out the show, we've got some Norse news. They are now selling tickets. And surprisingly enough, they're not going out to the middle of nowhere anymore. They're they're coming right downtown. Yeah, that's great. Initially, like – just a couple of weeks ago, they said, we're going to fly to Ontario in the LA area. And Stewart, which is famously not in New York City, it's I don't think you consider it New York City at all. It is way to the north. But they said, you know what? Forget it. We're going, we're going to where the people want to be. And they are now flying to LAX and JFK. And it's completely different than Norwegian. Don't compare it to Norwegian. Even though they're using Norwegian uh, 787-9s and they're flying to the same cities Norwegian did, uh, and they're based out of Oslo, Norway, Ian, it's not Norwegian. They should just call it not Norwegian. Not Norwegian. I am excited. I'm happy to welcome uh, long-haul, low-cost carrier back to the US. I hope it lasts. I don't think it will. But if you want a $180 ticket to Europe, if you don't have any bags, you don't want a seat, you don't want a meal, you don't want anything, go get it. I will. Great. No, I won't. If you have made it this far, thank you. If you would be so inclined to go a little bit further and leave us a rating or a review, we would so very much appreciate that. Those things help us keep doing the podcast. The more people that find the podcast, the more we can do the podcast, and we truly appreciate that. And we truly appreciate all of you for listening thus far. If you just can't get enough of aviation and are looking for for a, a further dalliance in, in flying, go check out our YouTube channel where Gabriel Lee is doing some amazing stuff with flight reviews and behind the scenes looks at a lot of different places. He's got a lot of great stuff coming up. So go ahead and check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes, or you can just go to YouTube and search Flight Radar 24. Tell him hands off the Qantas A350-1000 first. That's us. That belongs <laughs> We're to all us. Go- We're all going. We're all going. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we, we've got a few years to figure that part. On that note... On that note, this has been episode 162 of AF Talk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.